This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli. We are here dropping part two of our biggest question for every Western Conference team in the NBA's Disney campus. Part one was dropped yesterday. We talked about the Suns, Spurs, Kings, Pelicans, Blazers, Grizzlies, and Mavericks with the Athletics and Bleacher Reports, Moda Kiel. Today, he is back, and we're going to talk about the Rockets, Thunder, Jazz, Nuggets, Clippers, and Lakers. Again, be sure to check out part one if you haven't done so already. Very quickly, though, however, just want to shout out our sponsors for this podcast, Bet Online and Deal Dash. You'll be hearing from them throughout the episode in, in just a few moments. But without further delay, let's get back into the biggest question for every remaining Western Conference team with Mo Dakil. The team after them, the six-seeded Houston Rockets, is so bizarre. I know the seeds are going to change in the meat and potatoes of the West, but the Rockets being the six-seed when they're 16 games over 500 is still kind of melting my brain here. But The West, you- man. The West. <laughs> Hashtag the West. Uh what are what's your question for them or what are you watching with them while they're in Disney? I think I think I can guess this one. Go ahead and guess, because we all know it. You want to know how nanoball is gonna play out. Yes. Basically. I mean, I think, you know, we we saw moments where it looked really good for the Rockets, and then we saw them struggle right into that, you know, league play ending. You know, they had losses to like Orlando to uh uh charlotte i think and 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 one of the knicks which was shocking for everybody and then they got completely destroyed by the clippers you know i think it's a it's a tough thing to ask these guys to play small ball for so long you know and and you know a full 48 minute game and then going into the the playoffs and things when things ramp up like it's a pressure situation for them it's interesting because it's a nice zig to everybody zagging but this is a tough one, and I don't know if it's going to work. And ultimately, the hard thing, too, is, damn, they don't have anybody on the bench, big guy-wise, that they can go to. Like, you know, Tyson Chandler is a 1,000 years old. Yeah, no offense to him. You know, Bruno Carbacolo, uh, or Carbacolo, there we go, Carbacolo. I think that's how you say it. But I can't even say his name. Like, that's how important he's been to the league so far. Um, you know, two years away from being two years. Uh, you know, like, it, it, it's it's just like, they don't have size, you know, their biggest guy that they're going to play is Jeff green. 
and it's like you're gonna run <laughs> into even on their team. <laughs> he's been good. He's been good in the scrimmages for them. But like, what are you gonna do when you play a team like the Lakers? And you know, maybe your small ball works, but if it doesn't, you have no ability to pivot. You uh, know, you're just gonna go smaller. I reject you just insulting the Brazilian Kevin Durant because Caboclo at center lineups are obviously going to be fantastic defensively. But I'm, if he ever makes it out of quarantine, the dude keeps having to, he, he didn't understand the first quarantine had to go in for 10 days. That is true. Uh, I'm totally with you there. And it's look, they're basically punting on, I know they've been okay on uh, the, the offensive glass during Tucker at center lineups, but like they're basically punting on the rebounding battle every single game or series, however you look at it. And then you already talked about the toll it takes on players. The other thing that I think we need to talk more about is maybe it's not as big of a concern, but it's, is Russell Westbrook going to continue playing like he was during all this? Um, from when Capella left the rotation, which you know was before he was traded because he was injured, Russ is averaging 31 points, 5.8 assists, 57.5 true shooting percentage. 56% of his looks are coming inside five feet compared to 46.3 beforehand. That's a huge difference, yeah. and he's finishing uh, better there as well. And so it, I think this is a no-brainer in the sense that this is how Russell Westbrook always should have been integrated to every team, like including Oklahoma City, surround him with shooters. It took way too long for him to get here, but are we just going to see him continue to keep up this level of play? Because they do need him to be there. I think it's great that James Harden is going to be, in theory, as fresh as he's been for the playoffs since leaving Oklahoma City. But like, you still need Russ to be that superhuman version of Russ. And if there's still a higher variance caked into his game-to-game performances, that's going to end up costing you as well because you are going to give some trade-off in certain matches with small ball to begin with. And so you don't necessarily have that margin for error when you're talking about the second-best player on your team. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the truth of the matter is they've kind of built this team on the fly around Russell Westbrook. You know, them going small benefits Westbrook more than anybody else on the team. Yeah, 100%. You know, you know it's it's him being able to roll, to, uh, drive to the hoops. It's created more driving lanes for him. It's been their, their bread and butter. So, like, if this is going to work, Westbrook has to continue that, you know. And, you know, look, he's came into the bubble a little bit late. He's working it through. I mean, he hasn't been spectacular in his the two scrimmages they've played so far. They think they have one more tonight. But like, he's taking a lot of Russ, Russy shots, Russell Westbrooky shots. Yeah, and 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 to, you know that's the kind of thing that's like worrisome, right? Like, what, are we getting back to old Russ like that? We can't have. And you know, to the Rockets' credit and to D'Antoni's credit, they've they're trying to get more ball movement, get a little bit away from so much ISO ball. You know, and they're they're moving it from side to side. There have been some interesting looks that I've seen so far and how they've played. But, you know, it comes down to that question, man. It's small ball and can Russ continue to be effective? Because if Russ isn't effective, small ball is not going to work for them. Do you hate any particular playoff matchup for them? Um, I hate the Clippers for them because I think the Clippers have a better small ball lineup. Right. You could go, they could go with, not just even Marcus Morris at the five, but even having Jermichael Green at the five might give them a little bit of an advantage too. Whenever your small ball lineup has Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor. That's fair too. <laughs> like, how are you beating that? Like, right. it, I, 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 it doesn't, I could be on the floor. It wouldn't matter. You know, like it's, it's those two guys add so much to the team on both ends of the court. Like that's such a big difference for that that team, and that's a matchup. That's something I would, if I was the the Rockets, I'd be messing around with the seeding a little bit to make sure I don't get them in the second round. Yeah, there there feels like there could be some seeding shenanigans somewhere in the West oh, where sure. people might, you know, the lower seeds might want to play the Nuggets 
or maybe some teams want to match up with the Jazz. You know, yeah. Which this next team currently matched up with the Jazz, the fifth-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder. Definitely, look, even if you expected them to stand pat through the trade deadline this season, I don't think anyone expected them to be in play for a top three playoff seed in the West. So they've been a surprise in every sense to me. What are you watching for, looking for, asking about them? I'm just curious if they can continue what they were doing in clutch. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they were just so good in the clutch situations. And a lot of that came from Chris Paul. You know, this is a fun team. They got a lot of interesting things going. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a star in the making, dude. Like he's fantastic. Um, you know, and, and the fun thing is it looks like Chris Paul's really enjoying kind of mentoring him. You know, Dennis Schroeder is up there for six man of the year, whether he wins it or not, it's a different story, but like he definitely deserves votes. You know, I, the guy that constantly gets forgotten is Danilo Gallinari. So good. Yeah. He's, he, and, and, and so good on so many levels. Like he's a lot better defender than teams really kind of fans and teams really understand. And that's just from years of teams going at him defensively, you know, on the offensive end going like, we're going to attack him and he's improved defensively. He's not like a stopper or anything, but he, it's not an automatic bucket going up against him. And I think, you know, they, they have an interesting team. They're a team that can get hot and, and scare a lot of teams. Right. And I almost want to throw their nine and 17 record against above 500 teams out the window. It's definitely a concern, but they were 17-5 and five of their last 22 games entering the, the shutdown. And as you mentioned with their crunch time net rating, uh, they have the best crunch time net rating in the league by a mile. Chris Paul is slashing 54-36-94 in crunch time, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, they've been – Dennis Schroeder's been great for them. He's shooting well from basically everywhere on the court. I love Gallinari. If they want to play small, they could really move him to the five, and they have for right. certain possessions if they wanted to. Um, and my question is basically the same as yours. Um, I It might just be a little bit more big picture in the sense, like, forget about even just this season. Are they playing themselves into a different timeline? Because I still think people default to, well, Adams and Schroeder are going to be free agents in 2021. You have the Gallinari's entering free agency this summer. Chris Paul's owed you know, almost $86 million over the next two years, they're going to eventually bust this up. But if they win a playoff series or come close to winning two, like, do you default to them busting it up? And so there's like, to me at least, it seems like there are some pretty big picture implications to how they fare during this postseason. I think it starts with a conversation with Chris Paul. Like, you know, Sam Presti sitting down with him and going like, how do you feel? Like, are you enjoying, like, it looks like Chris is having a hell of a time. You know, and, and we all thought he was going to be miserable in Oklahoma City. But it's right. look like he's found kind of a great place to play. It's a perfect setup for him. They don't rely on him a whole bunch during the game until crunch, crunch time. And that's why his numbers are so absurd. He's rested, you know, and he's in that scenario. He's found a really good place. For me, I kind of hope he stays there. I think this is a good spot for him. Continue to mentor SGA and and even Dennis Schroeder to a degree. I think, you know, for them, if, if he's like, Hey, no, nah, I'm in, you know, I think they have a great situation just because they got 55 million draft picks over the next few years for from the trades the made. on that one. Yeah, okay. You know, they, they got a lot of stuff, you know, they can, they can start to make things happen. I think if they could find a way to sign Gallinari to a team friendly deal, I think it makes sense. You know, I think Adams is, it, is there a guy that fits Oklahoma City better than Steven Adams? I mean, you know, he just kind of fits. I, I can't imagine him in another uniform. Schroeder might be a difficult 
thing. Maybe you maybe you're willing to punt on him, maybe not. But you know, with all the assets you have, you can really kind of build this team while you're not even taking a step back. And I think that's something that you know would be interesting for Presti to look at. And I think it all starts with what what does Chris Paul want? And there's also you mentioned the Shea Gilgis Alexander factor is because even if you tear this down. There's the argument of, well, Shea is already good enough to where you're never going to be bad enough to fully tank anyway. And so why not try to straddle those two timelines like you're talking about? Yeah, it just it just makes sense. You know, and, and, it, and it, that's the best of both worlds, right? If you can be a playoff team and have a bunch of draft picks, which you can don't necessarily have to use the picks, but you can turn the picks around into another piece, you know, and, and things like that. Like you're you're in a good scenario and a good situation. So I, I kind of like where the Thunder are going right now. Hardwood Knox listeners, have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, Everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code NOX. Or go to DealDash.fm slash NOX. That's DealDash.fm slash NOX. D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash NOX. After the Thunder, we move into the currently fourth-seeded Utah Jazz. What are you watching for, wondering about them as we get to the regular season restart? Man, I'm watching Mike Connolly. All eyes are on him. And I think, you know, he started out slow. He picked it up in February and March. I think was averaging around 16 points a game. You know, was beginning to slowly look like Mike Connolly again. And with the Bogdanovich injury, you know, it's it's huge for them. They've lost 20-point scorer. They're going to need people to pick up the slack. Now, he's not going to pick up all of it, but I, I, he needs to pick up at least half. Like, he needs to jump in there and start and start going to work and start being the Mike Connolly that we we all thought the Utah Jazz were getting. I mean, people had them as dark horse contenders, you know, and, and, and I think that was the thing we need to watch for with, with the Jazz, and that's what's going to matter the most with Connolly, and I think, you know, they're only going to go as far as he can take them, and it sucks to put that pressure on him. But on the flip side, too, like, you watch some of these pictures you see from these dudes in the, the bubble practices and stuff like that. He's another dude that looks like he's having fun, you know. He's doing these, you know, he's rolling on the ground, dribbling, picking up, shoot, you know, and things like that and having fun with it. I think this is an important thing to see there. And I think, you know, for the Jazz, that really matters. There, um, Mike Conley was mine as well. I think he's also slated to leave. Like his his wife is supposed to have a baby at some point during the the restart, and so that. Oh, I didn't know that. I think maybe I'm misspeaking, but that would increase the variance of performance for them a, a, a great deal. And you're already dealing with the absence of Boyan Bogdanovich, and so there are all these trickle down effects. There are almost too many things for me to watch and consider with the Jazz. It's so bizarre because they really only went all in on this team over the summer for the first time, when they when they signed Bogdanovich, when they traded for Mike Conley, and yet their window feels 
more fragile than it should be after only making that move because Gobert is supermax eligible. Who knows how the relationship between he and Donovan Mitchell impacts the way that they view their team. And if Mike Conley isn't the Mike Conley you traded for, you're all of a sudden in, in big trouble, particularly without Bogdanovich, because we've seen Donovan Mitchell struggle in his first two postseasons when I don't think it's through any fault of his own. He doesn't have other teammates to create their own looks. And then last year was exacerbated by the fact that his teammates couldn't even hit their wide open threes. And so Conley right now ends up being the the biggest swing piece for them, even more so than how are you going to fill minutes on the wings just because they need to make life easier on Donovan Mitchell. And Boyan Bogdanovich was at least someone you knew was going to do that. He was their third best player this year, probably by by far, and definitely their second best offensive player behind right. Mitchell. And if Conley leaves, maybe he doesn't have to leave. Maybe I'm wrong. Listeners can can get me there. No, no, no. I, 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 I Googled it while you were talking. For once, I did some investigative work. <laughs> and for uh, once, I'm correct. Yes, you are. Uh, his his wife is due August 27th, so that's pretty late in the playoffs, too. I don't know how far they're going to go anyway. So uh, That's a good point, know. too. It's a, like, can they even win a series like this? But there's definitely – I'm with you on Conley. Is he, he's one of the biggest playoff swing factors now because you don't have that Bogdanovich as a safety net, and we know how Mitchell has struggled when faced with that playoff defense pressure in the past. Yeah, and so it's going to be interesting to come down to it. And, and then Mitchell, too, like he's got to kind of – start to step up and start showing flashes. You know, uh, I think it was, he was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he had a phenomenal rookie year blew up on the scene, you know, was okay last year. And I think this year he's been good, but not great. And I think, you know, and part of it's our fault putting a lot of hype and, and things into it, but you know, is he the guy we think he is, or is he something else? You know, there was a lot of talk of him being like Dwayne Wade. Well, Dwayne Wade was pretty damn good folks. Dwayne you know, Wade did get to the foul line. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's my question is, is what are we going to see from, from Mitchell as well? Um, but, you know, for me, ultimately it comes down to can Connolly pick up the slack for Big Donovich. Now, since you spent so much time working for NBA teams, this is a good question for you. Does the Gobert Mitchell dynamic actually matter looking forward? Or is that being just, um, you know, over dramatized in the, in the grand scheme of things? It matters. I mean, I, I don't know to what degree. You know, it's it's different, obviously, not being with them, but team chemistry matters, man. Like, that's a big deal, you know, and, and feeling like you have each other's backs. And anytime there's sort of some sort of uh, discord amongst the team, you can kind of it, – it, it leads to other things. You know, it. You know, um, I'm going to plug my man, Tim McMahon. Uh, he had a great piece there about the, the relationship. Fantastic piece, yeah. You know, and, and just kind of – it's just sort of the irritating stuff, right? It's, okay – you you already kind of have this issue and now you're not passing me the ball like what the hell or you know what I mean or, or you're always asking for the ball Rudy like um you know you're not always open or I'm going to miss you sometimes like there's 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 that kind of element there and it just kind of slowly builds and stuff like that so it's it's hard I mean chemistry matters so much for teams in that sense of especially in this scenario in the bubble because you don't get to go home and complain to your significant other or your boys or something like that. You're around these dudes 24 seven at this point. Like it's, it's, it's a small part of the bubble that actually, no, it's an important part of the bubble. that doesn't get enough recognition by yeah. people. 
you know, I've been on these road trips. I've been on two week, two week long road trips with the Clippers during the Grammys. I'm telling you seven days in, I don't want to see a single person on the travel party anywhere <laughs> near me. You know what I mean? Like we go through these stages and these are people who are like family to me. Some of these guys I still talk to on a daily basis in terms of just checking in with each other. And it's like, yo, it, it's like, I remember clearly we got into one city uh, I think it was Charlotte. And like one of the dudes was like, yo, you want to grab dinner? I'm like, bro, I don't want to see your face for a day. <laughs> oh, how polite and, of you. And, and, and no, but I mean like, and he kind of looked at me. He's like, no, I get it. Like we had been, and because we've been together for so long, it's just like, yo, honestly, I'm just grabbing something to go and I'm just sitting in my room and vegging out. Like, you know, it's, you have that. And now these dudes are doing that for three months, Dan. Like that's insane. Yeah, that's I, that's an under talked about aspect of it, and then we've seen pieces published on it too. Is just the the mental health aspect of it in general. So not just getting sick of people, but when you when you don't even have your normal access to other people in your close circle at all, uh, that's how is that going to impact you? And that does that demeanor exacerbate any of the pre existing problems? I tend to, as someone who I would say, what do they call it, bleeding heart or a sentimentalist? Like I want players you you assume when i was younger that they because they played for the same team they were friends or now i'll compare it to if you're a fan of a band you want to assume that they're all friends and that this isn't a business relationship but ultimately is and you don't need them to be best friends i think what makes it more complicated is both of them are approaching new contracts and while donovan mitchell is firmly under team control looking at restricted free agency gobert's just entering this weird territory because he's a generational defender if you want to say he's defensive player of the year even though i would vote for Giannis, i wouldn't give you a a huge argument. He is so, so very good, a top 15, 20 player in the league. And yet I don't know that you can get away with putting that type of money in him moving forward. And if he's not getting along with the player who is more important to your future because of the position he plays, because of the player archetype that he is, that's why it just seems like it, it might be a little bit more, more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. The, the contract situation for Rudy is difficult. And to be honest, before all of this, I was just in the in my mo to mo conversations, you know, was wondering. We need you know, like recordings of these mo to mo conversations. <laughs> no, no, but mo does not want that. <laughs> <laughs> not me, the other mo. Um, the uh, we need a third mo to record it against the second <laughs> mo's wishes, <laughs> or just D'Angelo Russell. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Chief shot. Sorry, guys. That was that was just me being mean. Um, quarantine has changed me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still laughing at that one. That's Mo with a mustache having an edge to him. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've turned evil. Um, <laughs> Although it's probably not a surprise that you're shit talking a Timberwolf on this podcast. That should that yeah, should actually yeah, yeah. come as a non shock. <laughs> Had to bring it in somehow. Um, my my question was like, how much are you going to pay Rudy when he's still limited? Right. Like, let's put it to you this way. In Philly, if you run a pick and roll and you switch a small onto Embiid, it's an automatic post up. Right. In Utah, it's not because Rudy doesn't have that great of a post up game. And also part of it should be said, too, is Donovan Mitchell now has big on him. Might want to attack that as well. But it's not an as it's not a thing where you could mix it in. It's just mm-hmm. how much are you going to invest in a guy who I think he might be up for the Supermax? Yeah, he is. You know, and that's a difficult situation. Like Rudy, we're not paying you the supermax. Like, okay, hopefully, that's well. been said already because there's a, under no circumstances should he be given the supermax. No, but like even just a regular max is difficult for a team. But also, they're not a free agent destination. Like they struggle to bring in free agents. But it's 
my thoughts are like, can you flip Rudy for a couple of pieces and be serviceable with, with just a, a, an average big man? You know, uh, and you feel and dirty you, asking, or at least I do, asking that question. But it's also a fair one because it seems easier to approximate a lot of the value that Rudy Gobert brings. You're never going to fully approximate the defensive value that he brings. But overall, in net, on balance, it you could probably put together a facsimile of what he does in your center rotation for what's going to end up being much cheaper than he'll cost you beyond next season. Or even in next season. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, no, it's, 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 and, and you say it's dirty. I said, this is what front office work is. You know, it's are you happy? I feel like I'm crapping all over a player who's actually really good. Um, it has, it, the unfortunate thing, like, here's the thing, Dan, it's, it's hard because he's really damn good. Is he $160 million good? Can I get, can I survive with 60% of a Rudy Gobert at $90 million? You know, and by the way, ninety million is still a crap ton of money. But like, let me ask you this question: How different are the Jazz if you replace Rudy Gobert with Clint Capella? I honestly, I don't know. I think because he's such a rim deterrent that Clint Capella isn't, and he is he is stronger than Clint Capella. I, there would be a drop off, but I, how I, massive? I, I don't know. That's a it's a fair question. You know, and 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 is it so massive that it's a difference in? I mean, Rudy's, or I'm sorry, uh, Capella's getting like 90, you, you know, over yeah, five four, and 90, five, yeah, five and 90. And then you have Gobert. Let's just assume he, he wants the max, which is, I don't know. I'm throwing the numbers out, folks. Don't get mad at me. You know, I don't do. Oh, that. I can tell you. I mean, this, these numbers will be wrong because I'm just assuming that the, I'd rather you say it and be wrong. And then I just say later, I can blame you. So go ahead. I'm assuming that I'm just assuming that the cap is going to, to drop. But if he signs a super max, it's five years and 253.8 million. Uh, just a regular max. What's the regular max? Uh, the regular max for him would be four one ninety six. Okay, so you're going to pay a dude $100 oh, excuse million. Me. If, if he went regular max, it'd be 4168 or 4217, uh, 5217.5. Okay, let's just say 4 and, and 168. Let's just take the low number of that. Is he $70 million? Is that difference in, 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 in value, uh, financial value, going to show up that much on the court? Like, I don't know. You know, I, I would rather in a bubble – just or a vacuum rather just have Rudy Gobert over Clint Capella. But when you put it the contracts in there, then I'm like, uh, I might be leaning Capella and see if I can add some more guys to the team. And look, right now maybe it's fine, you know, because Rudy is making what is he, twenty six million next year. That's not something that just because he's still so good. The other right. factor of this is that this next contract's gonna take him into his early to mid thirties. And so depending on how long he signs it for, obviously. And so twenty six five next year, you know what am I paying? Do I still want Rudy Gobert over Clint Capella in that situation? Next year, yes. We want to talk about moving forward. That's where you really get into the tough, tough questions. And then that's where you start to figure out like, is there a trade out there? And that's that's the tough scenarios, and that's the conversation sometimes that the front office has got to have that you hope never leaks. And that's what's also it it feels like I'm like denigrating Rudy Gobert, but it's not who is going to throw out the massive offer on the trade market for Rudy Gobert. I think people have like broached to Brooklyn, but they think that DeAndre Jordan is the best center in the world. So why are they going to go? I love DJ, but uh, come on. Hey, better than Jared Allen, apparently. uh, (laughs) But it's like, what team is going to come and just make the massive offer? Like, yeah, maybe you can count on the Knicks to Nick, but like, you know, that might be a fair question is, can the Jazz get by with a Mitchell Robinson and then whatever filler they're able to get from that trade package. That's probably a bad example just because the Knicks have all bad players on their roster. But I don't look at a team and say, you know what, they should go out and try and trade for Rudy Gobert. 
Yeah, it's a tough scenario. It's going to be, and that was all stuff I was thinking before Donovan Mitchell and the the rift was reported, you know? You know, so that's a whole, now that's another wrinkle you got to add to it. It's it's just, man, front office jobs are hard, people. Everybody always thinks they can do it. I'm just telling you it's a flat out lie. I'm totally with you. It's it's tough to build up a contender in there and just a more tenuous situation, it seems, because of all the factors involved, plus the ancillary investments that they've already made, you know, Bogdanovich trading for Conley and all that. But not to keep you here all day as we're closing in on Denver Nuggets, the three seed as of now, what are you watching, looking for, asking about them leading into the NBA's regular season restart? Denver is a team that uh, this might get me in a little bit of trouble. I don't know. They're, you know, this is the year we're going to find out if they're paper tigers or not, right? Like everybody talks about how great they are, you know, and they're a town. And I love Jokic. Jokic is a phenomenal player. This isn't a shot at Jokic or things like that. I do lose it a little bit when Denver people want to talk about how much better he is defensively. And, and he may have improved defensively, but he ain't good defensively. Let's just stop with this nonsense. If the coach has to take you out in clutch defensive situations and go offense defense with you, your own coach doesn't believe you're a good good enough defender. So let's let's pump the brakes there, folks. But is this team gonna take that next step to being actual contenders? You know, they're great in the regular season. You know, they had a good run last year in the playoffs, and it was their first playoffs. You know. It, getting it all the way to the second round, two game sevens, one, one lost one tough scenario in that situation. But like, can they kind of break through? And the tough thing too, is they got to find a way to break through against the Lakers and Clippers. Like, and we're going to get to them, but like, that's a tough crowd to crack. And, and that's the situation they're in. And now, you know, we're just going to start to look at, you know, they're teams are going to, people are going to pick them to lose in the first round, by the way depending on who they match up with. I, if know, they play the Rockets, which is who they're matched up with now, I, I don't know who I would pick. I, I'd probably have to dig deeper into it, but I, my guess would be Houston's favored. It would be close. I mean, at the very least, it would be one of those things where, like, oh, I could see both teams winning, but I'll take whatever um, situation. But, like, it would be a tough series. And I think even if they played Dallas, people would start yep. kind of going at, you know, and, and, and have those questions. So I, I, they're in that tough spot there. So for me, the real question is, are the Nuggets who everybody seems to think they are, or are they paper tigers? And I'm with you on there, and my more nuts and bolts question for them would be, you know, just assuming that um, Jokic's weight loss doesn't change how effective he is, because I do think um, just the way he plays, it's more, it could be more impactful than what's happened with Marc Gasol, but I'm, I'm just wondering, how do they just fare guarding uh, bigger wings? Do they have enough depth and size on the wings in general? They're... They do have the league's third best three-point defense, but opponents are shooting just 35.1% um, on open threes against them, and so that feels like a little bit of luck might be involved. And if you're looking at your best wing defender as Gary Harris or even a Tory Craig, that's not the worst spot to be in, but neither of those guys are are really huge. And you also want a wing who could maybe give you that extra layer of shot creation on the offensive end when things down in crunch time because Jokic has been phenomenal in crunch time, but you need that other outlet and Jamal Murray is there. Jamal Murray is really good. Jamal Murray is also really inconsistent. And I don't know that we're at a point, even though they paid him like one that you can say he's a viable number two on a title team. And this doesn't answer any of my defensive questions, but looking at it offensively, is there a chance they end up leaning on Michael Porter Jr. more um, as he gets more ready since I think he only just started playing um, in the scrimmages I, Rick Carlisle hasn't really given him consistent minutes this year, and why would you? It'd be tough. It'd be tough for Rick Carlisle when to the stakes give him are higher. Yeah, 
And so if you uh, no, take him no, out, what no, happens with no, your Lincoln? No, listen, what? listen to me, Dan. I'm listening. It would be very difficult for Rick Carlisle. Oh wow, M- Mike Malone. <laughs> God, just because they're both have shaved heads, man. They look too similar to me. But yeah, excuse me, Mike Malone hasn't played MPJ consistently, and why would you start when the stakes are so high with? what's you know a, a rookie so but he also feels like someone who could elevate their offensive ceiling i still question what they're going to be able to do defensively in many of the playoff matchups though and so that comes back to your paper tiger question about them too i do think there a lot of people do tend to just write them off and there might still be this stigma against jokic they are really ridiculously good there's still a separation between really ridiculously good and the clippers lakers slash legitimate title contention Right. And and first off, off the bat, let's just get rid of the stigma of Jokic. Right. Top, like, look, a, he he should be consensus top seven and I might put him in top five. Like, look, he's he, he he's never going to have the rift NBA body. We all wish, you know, he had like he's never going to look like me. Um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, six a I day say orange this, theory. Mo, Mo Doc heel peak <laughs> NBA fitness. <laughs> um, but he's just you know and so so and, and and there are things he does that i hate i hate the constant complaining i hate the eye rolls on the court and the frustration throw your fouls, hands yeah. up kind of stuff and, and things like that like i hate that stuff but the dude can play flat out like let's just stop with this stigma of whether you know how good Jokic is if you're asking yourself how good is Jokic, and you're like you're seriously not understanding it you need to just go watch baseball, man. Like the same for you. The sport ain't for you then because he could play. Now, I have questions too about his him losing a lot of weight because I think it does affect you in the post to a degree, um, especially because he was very physical in the post. So yep. I think there's, there's some of that to it. Um, I don't know how much. I don't have a way to quantify it. You know, everything you said is spot on, though. You know, Jamal Murray is still very inconsistent, so I'm nervous counting on him. They don't have a third guy that I feel confident in that's, you know, like, okay, these are the three guys I trust. You know, and, and you know, the the uh, Michael Porter Jr. is still a while away. You know, like, it's hard. Like, I understand it from Malone's perspective. Don't you, you mean know. Rick Carlisle? Huh? Yeah, well, you, you do. <laughs> um, the... The, I, I I understand his, it from his perspective because the kid's still young and figuring out how to play and things like that. And this is just a tough scenario to throw him into. So, you know, this is going to be a, a, a situation, but this is a, a kind of a, a prove me moment, you know, and people are, I'm, listen, if they get out of the first round for me, that's a success. You know, like that's the kind of way I look at because I just don't think they're good enough to be in the conference finals. Yeah, but can you constitute it as a, as a success when you've reinvested in Murray? Millsap's going to be a free agent. Jeremy Grant, if he declines his player option, could be a free agent. There, this seems like a playoff push that I don't think they're not a team that overreacts, but it could have some long term implications on how they how they build this team. And just to back up your point on how reliant they are of Jokic just operating from the poach. Po- wow, poach post. Neither of us can talk today. He's second in elbow touches and fifth in post ups per game. And so if you lose the physicality edge there in any way, you know, he has the range to kind of, he can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot um, to overcome that. But I, I do think the weight loss is at least something to, to watch for as, as the games start mattering more. Yeah. And I think the, the, the final point, just to touch on what you're saying of like, can it be considered a success getting out of the first round? You know, this, the, they shouldn't overreact. This team is still pretty young. Jokic is young. 
Murray's young. Okay, Millsap, you might lose, but that's you know you got to start. For, they had they've been planning for this for a while. Like yep, they should be right. on top of this, you know. And that's kind of you know the the hope is can they develop Michael Porter Jr. Can they, you know, is is Gary Harris a guy or is he a guy we got to move? Is there you know a trade we can make? So you know it it it's not like the most exciting. You know, oh, they get out of the first round. Like, yeah, we did the same thing we did last year. But, you know, you lose in the first round. People are going to be crapping all over you, you know, and, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're going to become you're going to have that label of, hey, these guys are just a regular season team. They're not a playoff team. And that's going to and that's where it starts to get tough. And again, they just they the honest truth is the Nuggets front office should not panic in any situation, no matter what happens. They're still young and they still got to build. I was never sold on this team being a championship level team yet. Right. And I think what you touch on, because I've the comment I made about them just making out the first round, you do need to, you know, reconcile how tough the West still is. And so yes, if you make it out of the first round, that is an accomplishment because it means you beat the Rockets or the Thunder or the Mavericks or or whoever. And and that certainly matters. Can I ask you a question, Dan, completely unrelated? Because I just took a picture of you, a screenshot of you. Um, but did you ever watch the show Deadliest Catch? No. Okay. Has anybody ever said to you, you look like Jake from The Deadliest Catch? That's a new one. I will tell you who people have said I look like. Uh, a relative of Frankie Munez. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it looks like oh, I look like Gru from Despicable Me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And then it looks like um, who's the, I think it's, who's the long necked one on Bert and Ernie? Is that Bert? <laughs> yes, I've yeah, also Bert. I've also been told that I look like Bert had sex with Gru from Despicable Me. So okay, well, so, somebody went in on you on that one. Comment uh, section. I'm, Don't always read it. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, never do, never do. Uh, but yeah, just add Jake from The Deadliest Catch. It's on today. If anybody wants to watch Discovery Channel, that's a free ad. I'm a, I'm gonna Google that in just a second to see whether it's an insult or not. But first... no, 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 <laughs> it's not. It's not. Sports are back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So number two in the West right now, the Los Angeles Clippers. What are you watching for? What are you questioning about them leading into this regular season restart? There are two things. Uh, actually, no, just one thing, because they, they're before all this... I was questioning their size, but I think the addition of Joe Kim Noah has really helped them, you know, and, and makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, I, I feel like you could throw him in and as, as your third big in a situation. I think that's, that's going to be a good spot for them. The real question is, have they played enough together? And maybe it might not matter at all because they're so damn talented, you know, right. in the sense of just having Kawhi and Paul George, you already have a chance. Um, you know, Lou Williams and, and after his, his magic city quarantine and all that stuff, I think, you know, all of these things, <laughs> Wait, he's being quarantined was, in magic city. He wishes he was, <laughs> but you know, but the, you know, the situation, um, and, and I, I want to touch on that for a second after afterwards, but the, I just think the, 
chemistry. They've added a lot of pieces. Marcus Morris, you know, in a trade. Reggie Jackson. Now Joe Kim Noah. You know, there's they haven't had the continuity of you know Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George playing together for an entire season. I think they've played together maybe 30 games. I know PG and Kawhi, it's 32 games. So it's like, and they're good when they're together, but you still just need to have that sort of chemistry Mm -hmm. that at least for me, I feel like they don't necessarily have. Now I'm not with the team every day. It's not like I feel like I've seen everything, but I just, it's something that is just not great. And I think they're good enough to overcome it, but it is a question I'm going to keep an eye on. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair one. Mine would be, and as, as an X's and O's person, you might kill me for this one. I'm just wondering, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all closing lineup, but I just want to see how their crunch time lineups end up looking. And specifically, are there, is it more prevalent that Montrez, Harrell, and or Lou Williams are left off them? Because I would argue that Lou Williams probably shouldn't be closing games for this team unless they're just all of a sudden hard up for, for scoring, which you can't really imagine having both PG and Kawhi Leonard. And then... What kind of happens up front? Um, do you go small with Marcus Morris at the five, or is that only a Rockets thing? Is Jermichael Green at the five, which you haven't leaned on too much during the regular season, but worked well for you during last year's postseason stint? Like, does that become more of a staple for you in closing? Is Patrick Beverly a given in closing lineups? Does does Landry Shamet factor into this at all? If you want to go with all wings, potentially, there are just so many different things they could do, and so my gut would be maybe they play the matchups a little bit more. But I am curious to see which makeup uh, is is the one that Doc Favors ends up really favoring because we know Kawhi and PG are going to be the staples and I if you want to throw Patrick Beverly in there too I, I might even say that but then who how do you flesh it out beyond that again in a majority of the matchups I think honestly from what I've known of Doc you know I think he values shooting on the floor so I think it's a question of who's shooting it well between Marcus Morris and Jamichael Green and mind you Morris has not shot the three ball well as a clipper. No, he's just so much more comfortable with the ball in his hands. It's more of a combustible fit than I think people recognized. And that was my problem with the trade um, when they made it was just like, man, this is a ball stopper. This is a guy that's going to take four shots a game that he shouldn't take, that he goes one on one. And I mean, we've seen it even in the scrimmages where I've seen it where like you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the court and yet you're trying to drive on a guy like that ain't your game. Sorry. Like with the Knicks. Yes, because the Knicks suck. But the the rest of the way, like, you know, you have two top 10 players on your team that can get a bucket anytime. Your job is to spot up, catch and shoot, cut every now and then, and defend your ass off. And that's something that I think Jermichael Green actually does better than Marcus Morris. You don't and have to I, convince me. Jermichael Green stand over here. But I think, yeah, but I think, so I think Doc's going to go with whichever one's shooting better. Um, you know, or if Trez is on a roll, like they have closed lineups with Trez, you know, and, and, and things like that. I don't think you can have Trez and Lou Williams and that's, no, you that's can't. a problem. And defensively, at, that's an issue. Do you come back to this point that you made at the top about chemistry and continuity? Trez, Paul George and Kawhi are actually a net negative when they're on the court together. And the sample size is, is small enough that you could throw it out the window, but that's also, it's not nothing either. Yeah, it's it's uh, unfortunately because the short and the way the year went, they're all small sample size to a degree, right? Not to what we're normally used to. Um, but I just think in that scenario, and then and then whether it's Shamit, you know, or, or Beverly, or even Reggie Jackson, like there's, I mean, he has a well lot of too, options. The Disney restart, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you have a lot of options you have to look at. You know, I'm I'm curious to see how much 
Shamit's going to be hindered by having missed basically all of training camp, mm-hmm. you know, and the scrimmages. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what, what the scenario is with that and how his shooting is going to go because it does take a minute to adjust. This is a shooting gym, by the way. I think this is a shooter's gym. Buddy Shield was talking for- about that, about how the black backdrop actually helps shooters out a lot more as opposed to having a crowd behind the basket. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting to see how that stuff plays out through the year. So, you know, I, uh, the year for the rest of well, basically three months is a long ass time. We'll see how um, um, Nuggets head coach Rick Carlisle feels about that. Comment. Yeah, yeah, Nuggets head coach Rick Carlisle. Good job on that one. Glad I caught that. Normally, I might let you slide, but because it's you, I had to kill you. But I, I the closing lineup is going to be a question for Doc that he's going to have to figure out. But again, there's so damn talent. You have two top so much optionality. Guys. We didn't even mention Zubats, who was like one of the best rim protectors in the league this year. But I don't think I don't think he's not going to close. But that's yeah, how I don't think Doc will close with him. I, maybe Doc should, but I don't think Doc will. And I think that's something that's an issue sometimes for them. Um, before you mentioned what you wanted to about Lou Williams and Magic City, do you think, how hard do you think the Clippers laughed when the Knicks were like, we'll do this trade for Marcus Morris if you put in that first round pick swap in 2021? That seems like the most pointless pick swap in recent memory or of all time. Yeah, I, I just, it just didn't make sense. It is what it is. It's like, all right, we're just dealing with crazy. All right, so what? Are, what is your Lou Williams Magic City take? I'm. I think I, I have more issues with the fact that he should have just gotten this thing to go or postmated than actually gone to it. You know, to pick up. I have. It, it, we're making a bigger. It's a big story because it's a strip club and everybody's going nuts. And I don't know if you saw this, Dan. But the, I read it. I know what you're about to reference. I read it. The 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 Marlins Major League Baseball stuff. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, see, you always, see, you always think you know me, Dan, but you don't. Um, I just saw on Twitter that they're they're saying the cause of the outbreak that the Marlins had that's basically almost threatening Major League Baseball is because they went to a strip club after playing exhibition games in Atlanta. So. <sighs> Like, let that marinate for a second, folks. Pause the podcast for just a split second. Let that marinate. Okay, we're back. And <laughs> I need you to understand, like, my issue isn't that he went to a strip club. I don't care, you know? Like, it doesn't matter to me. If he did this at a cheesecake factory, like, he's taking extra risk that he didn't need to take. Yo, man, Uber Eats, Postmates, Grubhub, whatever you want. Not even that. You don't even have to be the one to go. Send Jack Harlow to go pick up the food. Like, you know, that's my issue. Like, you're taking an extra risk that you didn't necessarily need to do in and, that sense. And that should be the only issue, too. I didn't even – I guess that those takes are still out. The opposite ones would be that. But I thought it was known that, like – and I've read pieces before that, like, Atlanta strip clubs, like, the food is a thing. And that wings at this place specifically were a thing, the athletic um, – they, that's the piece I thought you were referencing is they had uh, Chris Kushner, I think his name is, it, it, went there yeah. for the wings and reviewed them. And so that isn't the issue. You're 100% right is that there should have been more precautions taken. Why was he in there? Why did it seem like he was actually dining in there? And then what really worries me is that if Jack Harlow doesn't post this on Instagram, we never hear about it. And then yes. he's just back in the bubble only going through that four day quarantine. Yes. And that's an issue. And I don't think, and, and people who might be upset with the 10 day quarantine that's leveled on, on Lou Williams and think it's a punishment. No, it's an extra precaution. Look how, look what's happening with major league baseball right now. They've suspended all of the Florida Marlins baseball games right now. 
because they don't know what to do. These dudes are in a bubble and they're trying to avoid this type of outbreak. So they have to take the extra precautions. And so, you know, it, it was risky in that sense. And I don't, and, and in the moment, it probably didn't seem like a big deal to Lou Will, but like, that's the issue, you know? And, and I don't care where he got the food from. If he was no. sitting in the McDonald's, I'd have an issue. Um, you know, it's, it's all of those things. I go to pick up food. I'm telling you right now, I don't even want to walk in. It's an in and out situation. It's almost a dead sprint, you know, going to the grocery store. We get it. You're in shape, Mo. You can sprint. Congratulations. You should have seen the numbers today. Um, (laughs) but like even the grocery stores, like all these things, like, so it's just an extra risk that he took on that he didn't need to. And, and, and that's, that's my issue with it. It's not the, the, he went to a strip club. And, you know, to go get the food. And I get what these players are undertaking. Like, they're being asked a great deal of, but this is part of the package you agreed to at this point. It, like, as we've talked about, this was this return was collectively bargained, so you know the constraints that are placed upon your life. And I, it's, it's dramatic, it's stark, but you did agree to play. And so that that is, I'm with you 100%. The issue is how, it's not where, it's how he went about getting that food. Yeah, it's it's brutal. So it's it's a. I think the NBA did the right thing in that scenario. Some people were like, "Yo, he should be walked out of the bubble." Everybody, calm down, relax. Yep. You know, <laughs> but it, it, they're doing they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do with, with the scenario and trying their best to protect the bubble. That's all. And and I think he took a unnecessary risk. So that's that's a scary thing. Sorry for the sidetrack. No, I enjoyed it. I we. Excuse me, are on to the final team, the first place Los Angeles Lakers, and they will finish in first place because they are so far out in front of everybody else. What are you watching for uh, with this team during the, the regular season restart, and is it anything beyond the, the fate of Anthony Davis's eye injury? Man, I, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, <laughs> the, the eye injury thing. Um, which yeah, also goes sudden, to... It's like, oh, he might not be ready for Thursday. Then, yeah, it, <laughs> I hope they're working on goggles right now. I hope right. they're set, they're they're dusting off the uh, the Kareem or, or James Worthy goggles and 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 bringing that back. But that's something that uh, I think a lot of players should consider. But that's a whole other podcast for another day. Um, I think it's for the Lakers. It's we know what we're going to get from LeBron. If AD is on the court, we know what we're going to get from AD. Is what do the other guys do? You know and. We always talk about when LeBron goes to the bench, their offense goes down. You know, I I think I I wrote this in one of my pieces for Bleacher Report. You know, come playoff time, that's not going to matter that much. LeBron's playing 40-something minutes a game. Right. So it's, it's can you survive the four minutes in the first half, the four minutes in the second half, you know, with with a LeBron-less lineup? And I think that's where it comes down to. Can Danny Green get hot? What does Deion Waiters bring as a second playmaker? And yes, I know it's an absurd sentence. I just said that, but this is the way 2020 has gone. Uh, you know, J.R. Smith, can he hit shots? You know, it's That's been an a, actual question now. Yes, correct. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's been a long time since he's been on the court. You know, can he make shots? What can Kyle Kuzma do? You know, forget offensively. Can he defend? You know, there have been times where he's looked good defensively. There are times where he looks terrible defensively. Can he consistently defend to help this team? You know, it's, it's going to come down to the role players. And everybody hates it when they're like, oh, does, it's going to be like LeBron didn't have help or whatever. No, it's just we just know what we're going to get from LeBron. It's can the other guys elevate their game and continue to play the way they've played all year. And yeah, mine's just along the same lines as yours. So I have minimal to add there. It's 
you know, the, the numbers too, it's, it's hysterical because the Lakers have actually experienced a starker drop off defensively without LeBron than offensively. There's been a drop off from them on both sides. I think that more so speaks to, um, how not good their backup wing rotation really is on the perimeter when you're looking at defense and just looking at some of the lineups Anthony Davis has had to try and carry with without LeBron. And now Avery Bradley's gone. And so how are mm-hmm. you picking up that slack? I don't. I think losing Rondo ends up being a net plus defensively. I know playoff Rondo is a thing. I know his ball handling kind of matters on offense with this team, but I, I think it ends up being um, a net plus for them overall. But now we're in a situation where it's, you know, you can increase the workloads for Danny Green and Contavious Caldwell-Pope a little bit because they were around 25 plus minutes a game. But then you're still looking to fill just from Bradley specifically, you know, between another 10 and 15 minutes per. Do those minutes go to Caruso? And what are you looking like offensively? Um, you know, Avery Bradley was one of the few league average three point shooters on this team, and he was one of their better on ball defenders. You can't just replace that. And so everything you just ask, you know, is J.R. Smith going to actually factor into this rotation? Um, how much does Deion Waiters matter to them? What is it going to look like if we see Kuzma defending a lot more wings than he has during the regular season? It feels like these are questions we shouldn't actually have about a title contending team, and yet there's a very clear argument to be made that the mm-hmm. Lakers are the absolute title favorite. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a reason to make it, and his name is LeBron James. He's pretty good. He's he's not bad, guys. You know, there's a reason why he's going to finish second in MVP voting. Like I think, you know, that's the 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 level he's played at, and he's played defense this year, which is something we didn't normally see in the regular season for the past few years. So, you know. It, they're a damn good team, and I think it's going to be if we get Clipper, uh, Clipper, Clippers, Clippers, Lakers in the uh, conference finals. That's going to be a hell of a series. And if we get one of those teams playing the Bucks in the finals, that's going to be a phenomenal series. Like we're we're lining up for what could be a really amazing playoffs. You know what would be encouraging about that being the end result is because it was the expectation before, and if those are yes. the teams that make it. We can just, you know, since we don't know what's going to happen, we can just assume that the level of play was high enough to where this didn't really feel like a separate season on its own. I know we've gone a long time. I'm going to throw a curveball question at you, and then you could you can do you can. Yes, I know Mike Malone is the head coach of the Denver Nuggets. Jeez, are you sure? I'm 99% sure. Okay, the curveball question to you is: What team wins the title that makes you go like? Uh, maybe we should put an, a- an asterisk behind it. You, it's it's hard to identify that team in the Western Conference, but if like, I don't even know. I guess if it was the, I can't. I, I don't have like a ready pick. Like even if it was the Sixers, like unless we're look, we know the Nets, the Magic. I'm going to throw the Pacers in there, and they're out. If it's the Pelicans or the eight seed in the West, maybe <laughs> like if the Blazers come back and they're able to win it, but. I don't. Do you have a clear pick for that? Because I don't. I have one team. I actually have two teams. One is Houston, right? Because the, the just this is the year for them to win it when it's been so weird and screwed up. Um, and the other team is Philly to me, and, and and I think Philly actually has a pretty good chance. I li- I like their odds more now than I did in March. Let me put it to you that way. They're fully healthy, whole deal, everything like that. They're making changes into how they're playing and stuff. Ben Simmons is, shot a couple of threes that looked actually natural. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, so like if, 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 they, if, if they were to win the championship, I, I mean, it, it wouldn't be the outcome I thought we would have gotten in June. Oh, for sure. I think there's a, a plenty of teams that fit that mold. It just doesn't, like, would it have been completely absurd to pick the Sixers to come out of the East beforehand? 
or ditto for the Rockets. I guess the argument here would be the teams that benefited the most from the break when looking at them getting to full strength. Simmons was injured. They didn't even think he was going to be ready when the regular playoffs were supposed to start. Right. Al Horford was banged up. And then with Houston, it's always been Harden is kind of petered out, tuckered out by the playoffs. Now he's getting this rest. So definitely from that aspect, then yeah, I totally see it for the Rockets and, and Philly. And also with Philly, would they have made this stylistic shift where they're putting Shake Milton into the starting lineup um, had the season gone about as normal? And again, they might not have had that opportunity because of Ben Simmons' injury. Yeah, it, it would have been. It would have been. That's, what I, that's, my, that's my weird if they do win it. And I think they can. I think they have a legitimate shot. <laughs> I just think I could just see a lot of people going with the asterisks, and I probably wouldn't be all that upset about it. Do you have a title pick is the final thing I will ask you. No. Did Too you much make up a preseason title pick? I think I did. I think I picked the Clippers. Here was the thing. All year long, I was just going back and forth between the Clippers and, and the Lakers. No Bucks. It, you know, and then there are times where it was the Bucks. My thing with the Bucks is like, I don't know. They played so well. I wasn't sure if they had another gear. You know, and and, and it's not a matter of like they're always in fifth gear. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you know, there are times where the Clippers were literally just playing in second gear and just chilling, um, and things like that. And, and and I think the Clippers can hit another level. Like we've seen the best of the Bucks how you know their whole thing and i just don't know i think it's a challenge for them against the lakers or clippers in the in the finals my argument against that would be what if the bucks went from playing Giannis 30 minutes a game to 38 minutes per game is that their next level i mean it's gonna help i think we're gonna see that i mean he played 36 last year in the playoffs so it's that stuff the other thing too it's it's probably moot now because everybody's starting from the almost the same point in terms of conditioning wise uh you know, like I had concerns and I had questions of you've conditioned Giannis's body throughout the entire year to play 30 minutes a game. And now you're going to turn it up and ask him to play 38. It's yeah. not that you can you can do it one game. You can do it two games. But asking him to do that all of a sudden without kind of ramping that up was a concern of mine in terms of the, you know, his body handling it. And it's not a matter of me questioning his body or whether he's in shape. It's just. His body was conditioned for one thing, you know, changing that it it takes time. So that would have been my thing. I don't, I'm not sure uh, how much of a difference that makes. I mean, they, they blown teams out all year. So, you know, they're, they're, they're the odds on favorite to at least get to the finals. Yeah. I mean, and look, it's been an extended time now where Giannis hasn't played too many minutes, 32.8 last regular season, 30.9 this year and 34.3 during last year's playoffs. I wonder if there's an element of protecting him against himself because they know he's probably conditioning himself to the brink of exhaustion, like outside the games. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, there are guys who go hit the treadmill after games, you know, and that's kind of a normal thing. I don't know if that's a Giannis thing or not, but you know, a lot of that's usually guys who don't play and they have to keep their conditioning up. But you know, wouldn't shock me if I heard stories of like, Oh, Giannis didn't feel like he got enough of a sweat. in, so he, he he ran 20 minutes on the treadmill. (laughs) That would not surprise me either. Mo, thank you so much for this. This was fun. I appreciate your return to the to the podcast. If you guys are not following Mo on Twitter, remedy that, as I always say, immediately at Mo.Keel underscore MBA. That's at M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore MBA. And believe it or not, Mo, I can say this with absolute confidence. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be pestering you again in the future. I thoroughly enjoyed this. So thank you so much for coming on. 
You know you're my guy, Dan, anytime. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.